0: 1868, General John A. Logan, leader of an organization for Northern Civil War veterans, called for a nationwide Day of Remembrance and designated the 30th of May, 1868 for the purpose of strewing flowers on the graves of comrades who died in defense of their country. This new holiday was first called Decoration Day, but as years passed it became known as Memorial Day in an attempt to clarify its significance. On the first Decoration Day, General James Garfield made a speech at Arlington National Cemetery, and thousands of people decorated the 20,000 graves of Civil War soldiers buried there. Today, over 400,000 veterans and their eligible dependents are buried in Arlington Cemetery and Memorial Day will find the 639 acres dotted with graveside flags. Memorial Day is a chance not only to remember the hundreds of thousands who have made the ultimate sacrifice while serving our country, but also their families and friends who continue to grieve. It is a significant burden to bear and Memorial Day has a special meaning for them. We may not know them all, but we owe them all. Today we are speaking to three amazing men about survivor's guilt. The ownership that just these three men alone hold on their shoulders for what happened or didn't happen is immense. I'm positive many more men and women feel this same exact way. They are incredibly brave and strong, not only for serving our country, but sharing their emotions with us. Remember and honor those who have given their lives for our country. Remember also that every day is Memorial Day for their families and their brothers and sisters who served with them.
1: Thanks so much for joining us today. Rather than me introducing you, would you please introduce yourself? We'd love to hear your name, your branch of service, and the years and dates of service, and anything else about your service you want us to know.
2: Absolutely. My name is Mark Herzog. I served honorably in the Navy from 1994 to 1998, and uh, in the Navy Reserves from 1998 to 2001. Uh, I got out about uh, three months before September 11th, Mm. and then I spent the next 15 years wavering between being a civilian with a military mindset and being a veteran trying to fit into the civilian world. And then I found Irreverent Warriors back in 2016, and I am now a national coordinator with Irreverent Warriors.
1: That's great. I'm sure that keeps you busy most of the time. It does. Okay. Our episode today is one of three episodes, actually. This episode that you are part of, Mark, is one, for lack of a better phrase, I'm using Veterans Voices, where we have several veterans who have agreed to share with us how survivor's guilt may have impacted their life. So, do you feel you have had survivor's guilt at any time? Absolutely. Okay.
2: Absolutely.
1: Was it during your years of active duty or after your discharge?
2: It was actually after my discharge uh, because I got out right before September 11th. I was actually attending college on September 11th. And as soon as I saw what was happening, I felt the need to update my recall information. I went into town to the recruiting uh, office in town and tried to, to do so. Uh, and the recruiters, not realizing the extent of what was happening, they kind of said, okay, yeah, if we need you, we'll find you. Mm-hmm. And I, when I was active duty, I served on a Marine limousine. Uh, you know, it, it was a, a, a an amphibious assault ship.
1: Oh, so, I've not heard that term before. Uh,
2: we, also known as gator freighters.
1: Okay, I've heard that. <laughs> yes.
2: We had 350 sailors and 550 Marines. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though my ship had been decommissioned earlier in the year, a lot of my shipmates and uh, both Navy and Marine were called upon to go over in uh, 2002, 2003. And I was left twiddling my thumbs as a civilian as they went over and not all of them came back. And that weighed very heavily on my floundering. I still wear dog tags of, of people who are no longer with us, uh, both okay. from their time of service and also those who have committed suicide.
1: That's also a very real issue among military and the veterans and very possibly maybe another episode on our podcast at some point. What emotions do you recall experiencing?
2: There's a whole lot of why. Okay. Why am I still here and they're not? Why did they have to go? Why couldn't I do more? Mm-hmm. Maybe if I tried harder, I, you know, I could have done something to help them. That's a large part of my, my guilt Mm
1: -hmm. is why. A lot of whys and what ifs.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Did you know it was survivor's guilt or did that feeling or acknowledgement come to you afterwards?
2: I didn't really classify it as survivor's guilt for a long time. It was a lot of general melancholy mixed with severe depression and it didn't occur to me until i started healing that it was survivor's guilt.
0: Was there negative impact to anyone other than yourself?
2: Yeah, i'm i'm married with a now a 13-year-old daughter and for for many years i was grumpy, short-tempered, my marriage was suffering, um my finances started being less than stellar. There was a lot of self-destructive behavior, a lot of uh just thoughts of self-destruction. I it, in in many ways uh could have stemmed from me actually considering wrapping my car around a tree all the way through pushing my wife to the to the brink and thankfully she's extremely extremely tolerant (laughs) and resilient and uh, thankfully we're still married today but it was it was a rough go for a long time
1: good she's she's very precious agreed do you still have feelings of survivor's guilt? I know you mentioned when you were healing, but do you still have feelings that come up now and then?
2: Absolutely. I don't think I'm ever going to forget my shipmates. And I've come to terms with that. And I've come to realize that the vo- that what I thought was a void is really them shifting positions. They're always going to be with me, mm-hmm. just as they always were in life. It's just that now it's uh, it's their memory. You know, Memorial Day is coming up.
1: Uh, that was I was going to ask you about that.
2: And for a long time, I used to be a hardliner when it came to Memorial Day. There are a few different kinds of, of veterans when it comes to Memorial Day. Right. There are the there are the hardliners who insist that Memorial Day is a somber occasion where we need to you know respect and honor those who have died you know in service. I've since mellowed my, my intolerance. And, uh, I now view it as a day where we can laugh. We can be with other people because I think that's what my shipmates would have wanted.
1: Right.
0: Mark, how do you cope with all of it?
2: I talk to him, you know, when I, when, when I would have called on them in life and said, Hey, what would you do? I ask him now. I try to smile as much as I can because the last thing that they would have wanted for me was for me to destroy my life when I didn't have to. Mm-hmm. I try to find the happiness because that's what that's what they would have wanted. They didn't they didn't sacrifice so that I could go on and destroy myself. That's the opposite of honoring them.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. How often do you think of them? Daily. Daily. Daily.
2: Did you hear the hesitation there?
1: Nope, not a bit. I didn't anticipate any. i <laughs> to tell you the truth. I, you know, I remember, well, and, and there are memories that are still with me today, not just my husband, but he was part of a local group called Vietnam Veterans of America, Chapter 20, here in Rochester, New York, and there are close to 500 members in that group. Wow. Tom was very involved for a while, served as chaplain, and for about five years, I was the editor of their newsletter. So, of course, I was at all of the events, and for several years on POW Day, we would go to Washington, D.C. We would do some brief honoring at Arlington Cemetery, and then we would go to the Vietnam Wall, and we would put a wreath there. And I remember specifically, after the afternoon was over and our ceremonies were over, we would all sit together after supper, and we'd sit around a room, and it was our debriefing session. And everybody would go around the room and just say whatever was in their heart that day. I was there probably with seven or eight other wives. And it was always a challenge to see who was going to bring the largest box of tissues. Because to hear these men just pour out their hearts in what they had come to know as a safe environment for them was truly remarkable And I remember specifically one year that after dinner, one of the the members just kind of disappeared. Nobody knew where he was. So, of course, everyone started worrying about him because this was always a very tough time for him. And eventually they found him. He was actually in a yoga sitting position in front of the Vietnam Wall talking to someone he had lost. And after that, every year, he did the same thing and would pretty much stay there all night as well. So they cope in different ways. But I know, like you, those names are on their mind every day, every day.
2: And the the fascinating thing that I didn't realize at the time, but I've since come to wholeheartedly believe, the military requires you to develop this sick dark sense of humor (laughs) to to manage and cope with the things that you've seen and done yes and i found that laughter really does heal Mm
3: -hmm.
2: one of the best ways that i can honor someone is to not only laugh like they laughed Mm -hmm. but tell the stories that they would laugh with
1: yes yes
2: and so, you know, when I talk about my shipmates, I'm, I'm usually one of the, the, the loudest laughs in the room.
1: <laughs> I'm sure you are. So, you know, laughter. And my father taught me that, actually. My father was a World War II vet. And he taught me at a very young age that if you can keep your sense of humor... You can make it through most anything mm-hmm. it your humor might change it might get a little darker <laughs> than many people might ordinarily appreciate, but for you, it gives you a different perspective and allows you to cope
2: my My grandfather was in the hundred first airborne on d day ah uh. And uh, when we asked when my my sister and I asked him about it, he used to talk about the campaigns that he went on with uh, with Napoleon and, uh, you know, sitting on the elephants as he crossed the Alps. Oh my gosh. And and he would do everything he could to to tell us funny stories yes. that obviously had nothing yes. to do with World War Two. Right. <laughs> and as an adult, as a veteran, I completely understand that now.
1: Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. But
2: at the time, I just thought that he was dodging the question.
1: (laughs) In some ways he was. Mm Yes. But he had a unique way of doing it. Yeah. So when we talk about sense of humor, I see the flag behind your head. And I want to know more about Irreverent Warriors, because I suspect that this dark humor you speak of is how an entire organization is dealing with a variety of memories from their service.
2: Absolutely. Irreverent Warriors, uh, our mission statement is we bring veterans together using humor and camaraderie to improve mental health and prevent veteran suicide. And the way we do this is we organize uh, Silky's Hikes and general get-togethers throughout the year. This year, we have 73 hikes in different cities going on. Mm -hmm. And our goal is to have at least one hike in all 50 states. We're not quite there yet, but we're working toward it. And a Silky's Hike is one where the uniform of the day is the really short PT shorts that we call mm-hmm. silkies and uh, combat boots.
1: Oh, and, and boots too. And
2: boots, oh, yes. Huh. And then tank tops or whatever, you know, top you want to wear. Right. Usually, you know, military in nature. Mm-hmm. And uh, we hike 22 kilometers through major cities. It's We call it a hike, but it's it's a loose march walk type thing we average about two miles an hour because because some of them are as old as I am and our knees just don't work so that's well true. anymore. Yeah, yeah, But uh twenty two kilometers is about thirteen point six miles.
1: That's that's a lot of a lot of walking. <laughs> it is. It yeah. is.
2: And so we'll start at about eight AM and we'll yeah. finish around five PM but the twenty two kilometers is significant to us because mm-hmm. on average twenty two veterans commit suicide every day. Oh wow and uh so, yeah yeah uh, a lot of guys will will carry twenty two kilograms in their packs, okay. uh which is almost fifty pounds,
1: oh my gosh,
2: yeah, and uh some of them will carry names of of you know those who who uh suicided, but the purpose of it it's veterans only in the element in the hike itself. civilians are more than welcome to volunteer and get in the safety vehicles and hand out water and right. and help us out in other aspects, but the purpose of it is for us to create a safe space. For our dark humor, mm-hmm. that's not really accepted in civilian life, right? And to to share our stories, you know, my my first hike was in Philadelphia in 2016. It was the first hike in Philadelphia, and uh, I I tell people that I laughed, I cried. It was better than cats. <laughs> It was it it was it was truly a lifesaving experience for me because I realized that I'm not alone. Right. You know, there were other people. I haven't. I never saw combat. I like I said, I served. I served in the 90s. Mm-hmm. The you know the most combat I saw was a drug interdiction operation off the coast of Colombia. Uh-huh. But being in the Navy, i you know we don't see a whole a whole lot of sea battles anymore. Right. right. So going to these hikes and finding other other vets who had similar experiences to me. It really helped me find my support network. It did exactly what it was supposed to do. And I said, man, it's, I got to get me more of this. And so one of the other guys said, Hey, are you going to the New York city hike, you know, later this year? And I said, wait, there's a New York city hike. No way. (laughs) So I went to the New York city hike and, uh, 15 hikes later, I've, uh, I actually became the New York City coordinator for two years before ascending before ascending into to uh, uh, national role. Yeah. And now I'm in charge of all, you know, 70 plus hikes.
0: Mark, I noticed on the irreverent warriors website, there's a donate button. There is what does uh, what do the donations go towards?
2: So there are two kinds of ways to donate to a Reverend Warriors. You can either donate to a specific hike or you can donate to the organization. Okay. 100% of the funds raised locally go to that local effort. Okay. So, you know, for instance, you know, each hike has a different budget. And, you know, uh, New York City, for, for example, our budget is $8,000 because New York City isn't cheap. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so we are in charge of all of our fundraising for that. On top of that, you can donate to the national organization. We do have two paid employees. Everybody else is a volunteer. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in an effort for us to be effective leaders, we do have, uh, you know, a leadership conference and, Mm -hmm. and we like to have someone from the national ranks at every hike. Right. So we do everything we can to provide for that. But all funds raised locally go specifically to that local effort. So if you're interested in in donating either nationally or locally, uh, feel free to hit that donate button and uh, you can earmark uh, where you want the funds to go.
1: That's great. Yeah. You know, I think our time is up for today and gosh, I feel really bad about that. But I so appreciate you taking the time and being willing to speak to us so candidly about this issue. My hope is that it reaches not only other veterans, but it reaches some family members, Spouses, children, you know, just everybody that maybe will have a better appreciation of some of the emotions that go through the mind of someone who is has served, and that somehow we can all support them maybe just a little bit more diligently and help them
2: and the my my parting shot would be no matter who you are and what your story is, mm-hmm. you're not alone, right. And that's the point. That's the point of irreverent warriors. That's a point of of Mm -hmm. surviving. You're not alone. There There is someone out there who shares your experience. Go find them.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And we are going to make sure that we include in our episode notes for the podcast apps and also on our website, as i live in grieve.com that we include the information for your warriors in the hopes that somebody will either look it up themselves or pass it along to somebody who could really use it
2: thank you so much
1: thank you mark so much and thank you for your service
2: it was an honor to serve
1: today we have with us a very special friend of mine who is a veteran, and I am going to ask him to introduce himself. If comfortable, would you give us your name, branch of service, years, or dates of service?
4: Sure, my name is uh, Steve McAlpin. I was uh, a major, I retired as a major, and I served from 1978 to 2006.
1: Thanks. Today we're discussing a very serious issue and something I experienced with my husband as well as the many members uh, we all celebrated with and were involved with at our local chapter of the Vietnam Veterans of America. And it's through my husband, Tom, who died three years ago, a little over three years, that I met Steve. Steve, do you feel that you have had any survivor's guilt?
4: Yes, I have, Um, and it it comes out in different ways.
1: Was it during your years of active duty or after discharge?
4: Well, I was uh, active duty, I was in peacetime from 78 to 81. Then I took a couple of years off and then joined the uh, Army Reserve and I wove through the National Guard and all that. But I, and the only first um, encounter I had with, with violence and, uh, was in 1996 during the Bosnia campaign. First, I was very much involved in it emotionally because I, I thought it was um, just horrible what what was going on there. And I, I uh, actually, I was a college student, an older college student, I saved up a, a bunch of money and tried to get over there on my own to defend Sarajevo. But I just, you know, somebody talked me into um, deploying with a reserve unit that might go over there. And I just happened to get the right one that went over there first.
1: What emotions did you experience?
4: Well, I guess I can say in both Bosnia and Afghanistan in 2002, I, um, I remember, you know, I, I don't know, for some reason, it just overwhelms me that these People, men and women in uniform, even you know coalition forces, you know, here I was an old guy going into my first war, and um, and these young kids are also doing the same thing, and I've already lived a lot of life. When I see memorials to to soldiers that have you know, been killed in combat, it just it, it can get overwhelming and it has. Does that make sense?
1: It makes perfect sense. Well, as much as I can imagine it, it makes sense to me. I can't begin to imagine the complexity or the intensity of something like this, but it makes sense.
0: You, you tried to s- started to say earlier, Steve, that it comes out in different ways. How, how do you mean?
4: When I was on leave going from, um, I went from Bosnia to Hungary on leave. Then we got a few days off and went up to, actually, we went to Budapest, but I also met my parents in Italy. They went there to Rome for a Catholic uh, a beatification of uh Edmund Rice, who's a clergyman back many years ago. so I met him there and we were invited as a as guests of the Pope to observe the dedication beatification of this of this gentleman and he what he did was he founded a whole bunch of uh, Catholic schools around the around the world and they brought in students from all of these worldwide schools that he started and I was okay. I was sitting next to my mother. We were about three quarters way in the back and, and um the Irish girls got up there um and they were doing a sword dance, you know, where you, you cross across the, the right. swords. Right. And I was, I, I just was overwhelmed and I'm like going from pure hell to this pure joy and beauty. I, I squeezed my mom on the leg and I said, you know, I, I can't be here right now. And I went way in the back and I started sobbing, you know, and I was like, you know, it's about and then um and that happens like I said at Brockport too. I saw little especially little girls dancing, you know, and I think of the freedom that they have compared to all the shit that, you know, I've seen, experienced throughout my military yeah. time. Right. It's just it's overwhelming. And it and it could happen anytime. And I it's it's not like I was in a, a major battle that there was bodies falling all around me. I, I'm not that kind of survivor. No, I'm not. But um, but I've 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 eaten a nine millimeter. I've um, uh, been in the hospital at least three times for uh, PTSD episodes. Barricaded myself in my school classroom one time with the guns and some granola bars. But um, just you know, I, I don't know if they want to call that survivor's guilt or just flat out PTSD, but I feel horrible. Um, example, yesterday I was reading, for some reason I got this message about a young man that was killed from Monroe County, New York, where, where I live, back in 2005. And I, I think it was 2005, but he was from my high school and I had no idea. And I'm like, holy cow, this kid just graduated and went to war and lost his life. You know, to me, I should have been dead a hundred hundred thousand times probably. But I it's these young people that really, really gets me a lot.
1: Yeah. Understandable.
0: Did you know that it was Survivor's Guilt or or did that knowledge come in afterwards?
4: I never thought you know, I kinda thought Survivor's Guilt was something related to, like I said, the knockdown drag out battle where there's there's people falling right beside you. Right. But then, when I I thought about my, you know, yeah, I survived, and I, like I said, if I had given my life at that time, it would have been perfectly fine. I was actually silly me, but I got married six days before I went to Afghanistan, thinking that I was going to die, and, and leave a widow, and um, and I lived. I was, you know, so I was like, ah, oh, okay. So I got through that one, and I just didn't really feel like I've, I've done everything in the world that I could have possibly wanted to do. And, you know, there's uh, these young kids that don't, you know, their dreams are just shattered. And that's kind of what overwhelms me, the, the human loss.
0: Yeah. Was there any negative impact to anyone other than yourself, Steve?
4: With specifically survivor's guilt? Yeah. I wouldn't say negative uh, to others. I went to the funeral of Christopher Dill in Buffalo. He was one of the 98th Division soldiers that was killed in Iraq, and uh, he was a drill sergeant, a really squared away guy. And I wore my uniform, and I went in, and I saluted the uh, him, and I saluted the spouse, and then uh, walked past some friends of mine at the honor guard. You know, we we're all in uniform, and and then I got in my car and I started driving away, and I saw some of my other drill sergeants, and I, they're like, "Are you all right, sir?" And I was like. I couldn't hardly drive, I was like, I just hate this shit, you know, going to see these young men with families, kids, and the and the sacrifice that they would give compared to my measly, you know, deploying a couple of times. And then, you know, I, I wish I could have done more, but I'm, I'm glad I did what I did, I guess.
1: Steve, I would ask if you still have feelings of survivor's guilt, but I think you've already answered that. You do. Yeah. Has it lessened at all? Is the intensity less or does it all depend on on the trigger?
4: The trigger. <laughs> wow, why would you mention trigger? Shoot. Oh,
1: I'm no, sorry. I'm, I hate that no, word. No, it's like
4: I I never knew I had these triggers, you know, and, I, and
1: Yeah.
4: But they they're so evident. I mean, I I lost jobs because I was as a teacher because I've exploded. And I don't know if that's just a PTSD, you know, I you know, physically. And I'm like, "Oh, crap. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's you know, again the PTSD or Survivor's guilt, but I just I get very emotional. I guess less so now. I am pretty happy right now. And um I don't know. I I suppose that the the sum of it is hopefully it lessens over time. I still have nightmares almost every night, but I you know, it'll there'll be a better day.
1: I, that's that's such a I, I love that that phrase, especially hearing it from you. you. And as far as PTSD. One of the questions we have for Dr. Pete is that question of, are survivor's guilt and PTSD related in any way? I believe they mm-hmm. are. Me too. I believe that sometimes the manifestation of one or the other are related. I
4: could agree more, yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, Steve,
0: what do you do to cope?
4: Well, I, I, I write. I uh, work in my yard. I've got a few acres of land in Webster. And um uh, I do uh, I was painting for a while. I haven't painted in some time. But um I'm taking care of my parents right now. Uh they're both eighty nine and my mom's getting Alzheimer's and my dad's uh, my dad had a stroke and he's um oh. you know, he's doing very good as far as stroke victims go, but um he's still very uh you know, we have to have somebody there mostly all the time.
1: Well, I think our time is almost out, Steve, but but before we go Is there anything else you would like to tell us or our listeners about, it doesn't even have to be specifically survivor's guilt, but I've heard you mention several times your concern and worries about the younger people, whether it's the next generation or just any of those younger than you. Is there anything you'd like our listeners to hear maybe about how they can support someone that they feel may be dealing with some issues about their military service?
4: I think that it's very important for those of us that are a little senior in the the military or or in the veteran community, that could be spouses, children, whatever, to reach out and acknowledge that person. You know, when when somebody says thank you for your service, I would say it was my great privilege because it is. And when I see these young kids especially committing to such an incredibly noble thing, it really humbles me that, that I was part of that at one time. When you run into those crossroads, you know, look for the place that's got some light or the sun's shining coming up. And, and there's somebody on that road that'll that'll help you. And if you run into a veteran, my God, I, I tell you, I could be in a crowd of a thousand people and feel unsafe. But if there's another veteran there, I'll feel safe. And, and that's just, um, I know, or somebody like Kathy that really understands the veteran experience with all the complex things that go on in, in, a, in a veteran's mind i guess uh yeah i'm so glad you guys are doing this because it's so important to 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 get the word out to what we go through you know
1: well i i think it is and with that said we'll say again steve thanks so much for your thoughts for your memories for your words and love you we'll see you soon would like you to introduce yourself. Name, branch of service, years, dates of service, where you served, whatever you're comfortable with.
3: Great. Yeah, I'm Hinato uh, Prieto. I uh, commissioned into the Army as an engineer officer in 2007 and got out in June of 2016 and uh, did a little bit of everything and was a little bit of everywhere, uh, primarily stationed out of Fort Lewis up in Washington, now joint base lewis McCord. And then my last duty station was in, uh, Fort Riley, Kansas, but, uh, Germany, Italy, Australia, Kuwait, Iraq, uh, spent some time on the African continent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just a, a little bit of everywhere even spent, you know, a few months doing, uh, foreign policy, if you will, in Washington, D.C. So just uh, a wide range of things that most of them have nothing to do with actually being an engineer.
1: Right. And here I thought (laughs) it was join the Navy and see the world. Yeah, Um, no. Not necessarily. Do you feel that you have had any instances of survivor's guilt?
3: I, I think I've had some instances and probably not the I guess textbook definition of it. I was very fortunate in that you know none of the soldiers I was responsible for while they were under my direct supervision, you know mm-hmm. lost their lives. However, you know, numerous soldiers that I served with at different points in time, you know everything from from suicide to combat operations in Afghanistan and, and it's kind of had the the varying degree of you know impact, if you will, on you know what I, I think is considered survivor's guilt and right you know, kind of the wishing I would have been there for them in those instances. And then for me also, just personally, you know, I I came in in 2007, so we were already a nation at war. right? So kind of that guilt, if you will, of, hey, I need to get there and do my part, you know, as things were starting to wind down in Iraq and, and things of that nature.
1: Right. Those things were all certainly mentioned by Dr. Pete the other evening. And we talk also about some scenarios where survivor's guilt might not necessarily have been related to someone under your command, for example, mm-hmm. or someone in your group. But it might have just been because you got sent to one location where somebody else got sent to another and they weren't coming home. So it yeah. can be sometimes a little bit removed from your own personal situation, but you still have the impact of feeling yeah. that, that what if and uh, why not me? So when you had these experiences, was this during active duty or was this after your discharge?
3: It it was both, uh, primarily during active duty, just because, you know, whenever I was going through my officer basic training and stuff like that, they had condensed down all of our training timelines because it was during the surge and they were trying to get get people to the fight as fast as they can. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I got to my unit and they were you know, coming back from a 15 month deployment during the surge. So just seeing, you know, the impact that it had on them and just Mm -hmm. like, man, if I would have just been here, you know, six months sooner, I could have been there with y'all to do something. And then we turned around and, you know, we went from, you're not deploying for two years to get ready. You're going back to the same area in six months. Oh wow! So just kind of that spin up of getting everybody ready and You know, it was part of the the last combat brigade uh, for Iraq, uh, the last one doing combat operations. And, you know, we're very fortunate that nobody died. We did have quite a few Purple Heart recipients, including myself. And, you know, but it was still that that feeling of, you know, so many people, you know, just a year ago from this unit, you know, lost their lives in this same area that we're right back at. And, you know, what more could we do? And, you know, now that we are the last combat unit, Doing combat operations, what can we do to kind of preserve that legacy and make sure that you know everything that they went through and you know those hardships weren't were, weren't for nothing, right? And making sure that we kind of close the door the the right way and and pay homage to everything that they went through and they did,
1: right? What emotions would you say that you experienced as part of the survivor's guilt?
3: Uh, guilt and, and anger, probably the, the primary to a lot of just, man, I, you know, I, if maybe I would have taken a different path instead of being commissioned, I could have got there sooner, had a different impact. You know, a lot of the the people and then, you know, being just the officer moved around a lot, you know, the next deployment for a lot of these guys, they went from Iraq to Afghanistan and, you know, lost some, some people who were under my command in Iraq. You know, that's always... Tough, and a fortunate part of that is is one of my soldiers that you know I had the privilege of serving with in Iraq, who passed in in Afghanistan for the Sapper Grove in Fort Leonard, Missouri. Uh, I was able to put his dog tags onto those that memorial for him since I was there at, at the schoolhouse. So that right. helped in a lot of aspects. Give I, I guess closure would be somewhat of the right word. Exactly. Just yep you know being able to to pay that respect for him and just not being in the right place at the right time for the combat operations if you will but you know at least being able to to have somebody who served with him paying that final respect
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Did you know that it was survivor's guilt, or did that come afterwards? Did you realize it after?
3: Uh, that came way, way after. Uh, I was, I was the, the one who avoided mental health during my entire time. Even after I got out of the military, it was, you know, I had that, uh, I guess you could say, Atlas mentality of just, you know, pile it on. I can take it. You know, I I see my my friend struggling. I'll take the burden and I will just carry it. And, you know, you can just pile on as much as you want and I I can carry it. And, you know, that only went so far, unfortunately. And, you know, about a year ago, year and a half ago is when I kind of hit that point to where I just couldn't carry it anymore. and Mm -hmm. Really started with uh, my mental health journey and started seeing a counselor. And that's when a lot of this started, I I guess, kind of making sense because just that mentality of just overburdening myself of just I'm going to carry the load for everybody and do everything and just go, 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 go and just put the blinders on to everything else. You know, it, it it worked. Uh until it didn't work. And, you know, it was let me be very successful in the military because then, you know, I was just able to, to perform at, at a little bit of a higher level just because I, I, I out of that guilt, just couldn't stop myself, right, you know, right. but more recently, just really understanding and, and kind of getting into the emotion aspect of it as far as what, why I was acting and driving the way I was and kind of the, the impacts of that and kind of a realization. I'm still pretty early in that journey. So.
1: So, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you you sought help yeah. um, and you may refer to it as an Atlas mentality. I think it's how the military trained you, because they need you to be that way for your situations, if it's combat or if they need you to be that way. Yeah. And their training does not fade, does not no. fade. So you attribute it to Atlas. I'll say it's <laughs> military. <laughs> well, and I think, too, that probably
0: in the back of your mind, you think, well, I made it through all of this in right. the service. I can get through yeah. this, you know? Oh,
3: yeah. And just that also that mentality of, oh, man, the, the the those that have come before me had it harder than I do. I mean, this this is nothing compared to what they did or what they went through. Right. You know, when you start talking, you know, our, our Korea, Vietnam, World War II vets, it's like, oh, man, well, this is, this is a walk in a park compared to what they did. And it's so I, I shouldn't be struggling at all, you know, and, and that kind of mentality.
0: Yeah. Was there negative impact to anyone other than yourself?
3: Uh, I'm sure because I was, you know, 100% just dedicated to what I saw as the mission at that time. And, you you know, I'm sure there were a lot of, you know, relationships and and missed opportunities along the way. Probably one of the biggest ones that eats at me is, you know, my dad was a a veteran as well. And, you know, he also passed in 2016 and, and we never really got, because I was so busy with go, 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 really that time to really sit down and talk about his experiences and, and get that connection, you know, what he went through, what I went through and, you know, just that that whole piece of that and just missed opportunity, if you will. Yeah. And then, you know, luckily, uh, my wife is, you know, she she keeps me in line. And, you know, when she sees me start to start to go down those paths of, of, you know, just overburdening myself and just trying to take everything on. You know, she's very good about pulling me back into reality. And, you know, I'm sure that, you know, she She's willing to do it, thankfully, but, you know, that also just adds more onto her plate and and her burden.
1: I understand. Mm -hmm. I understand. Do you still have feelings of survivor's guilt and has it lessened at all?
3: Yes, I still have the feelings. Now, I'd say it's it's starting to lessen more so just because I've actually, I guess, gotten serious about, you know, going to mental health and not just shoving everything off to the side and bearing it down and avoiding it and everything else like that. So I'm actually starting to to process, you know, what, you know, all, all the emotions and everything else like that. So so like I said, still still on the journey, but, you know, it, it's at least lessening to the fact that something is changing since I'm actually doing something about it.
1: Good, good. How
0: do you cope?
3: Uh, a lot of horrible ways. Uh, <laughs> Uh, especially when I was on you know active duty and in it and it was just you know 16 18 hour work days of just go 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 and you know a lot of unhealthy habits and just bottling everything up and shutting it down and just shutting everything down and then you know eventually there was you know not anything left but you know the focus on the mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, a lot of avoidance was how I cope. Now I'm, you know, starting to get some positive coping skills, uh, with, you know, EMDR and a few other processes, mm-hmm. you know, with, you know, the routine therapy and, and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, it was a lot of sleepless nights and just, you know, how, how could I, how could I stop? How could I slow down when there's so much more to be done?
1: Right.
3: And, you know, I just kind of buried everything and, and just soldiered on, for lack of a better term.
1: We want to thank you for sharing so candidly yeah. how a Survivor's Guilt has impacted you and continues to impact you. Now we would kind of like to shift a moment. I know you're Mm -hmm. part of a group called Combat Wounded of Texas. Yes, ma'am. I would love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about your group.
3: Great. Yeah. Uh, So we're a a relatively new organization uh, established in early in February of 2019 and really just looking to fill gaps that are out there from the multitude of organizations. Uh, Kind of the pendulum swing of You know, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, where there were little to no services or organizations to now there's a multitude of them, but there's still a lot of gaps in there with, you know, you have to meet these certain criteria. You know, if you make above minimum wage, then you make too much money for these services and really just trying to to block down and knock down those barriers and ultimately just, you know, being the right tool for the right job. And we understand that, okay, you know, we we may not be the ones that if you need a service dog to train your service dog, but through our network and our connections, we can get you to somebody who can take care of that for you. And right. you know, really looking at how do we take care of, you know, the veteran and their families. Because also a lot of time the the families can kind of get left out of it to where, you know, it's, it's you know, they, they're just not, you know, the, the target audience, for lack of a better term. And really just trying to make sure that we're getting the people connected and then also trying to be that leadership and connective tissue that connects the different organizations, you know, because... Most veterans, you're either in no organizations or you're in 15. That's right. And,
1: <laughs> and volunteering in all of them. Yeah, exactly,
3: exactly. And, and you know, kind of leveraging that 15 of, okay, we, we don't care if we get the credit as long as, you know, this veteran exactly. and their family gets Right. What they need to be taken care of. And whether it's one of these other 15, whether we can help financially, great. Whether we can help with a referral, great. Whether it's just being somebody to talk to, right. you know, anything in between.
1: Right. Yeah, there there are a number of really unique veterans organizations out there. And I love it when my path crosses with one of them, like it did with your group. Mm-hmm. Because it's very interesting to me. And sadly, some of them, of course, everyone's familiar with the American Legion and the mm-hmm. BFW, you know, those are very common. But some of these other more unique groups do, for me, more. They are more mm-hmm. committed to making resources, making people aware of resources that are available, or finding mm-hmm. resources, or supporting those resources. And sadly, many of these organizations, like Vietnam Veterans of America, which is a huge group, and it's a very strong lobbying group, actually, Mm -hmm. for um, our political area. But that's a last man standing organization. At some point, they're going to run out of eligible members.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I love it when new groups come along, because these groups are always going to be needed in one way, shape, or form. So kudos to you and others in your group for getting together, for making it work, and for being available for veterans and their families.
3: Thank you. And that that actually brings up another good point of, you know, our our board is Vietnam to Iraq, Afghanistan. So we've got, you know, the full range. And all of our members are also part of the military, the Purple Heart. Right. A lot of that, because one of the other kind of big aspects that we see is like you're talking about, you know, it's going to be a last man standing organization. is. You know, you see some organization and it's like, okay, if you're under the age of seventy, then there's nobody in here. Exactly. You know. And this other one, if you're over the age of forty, then then you're not in there. So trying to break right. those generational gaps of right. hey, we're we're all on the same team here. You know, we Exactly. We, you know, keep these organizations doing great things for veterans, exactly. you know. Regardless of what era you joined right. and whether you served during a time of war or you didn't.
0: You're a grassroots organization, I see. And Mm -hmm. so if someone wanted to donate to the organization, where where does that money go to? What does it help?
3: So nobody in the organization takes a salary or anything else like that. And most of our operating costs are funded uh, by our board members. So almost all of it goes straight to helping veterans. And and their families, whoever reaches out to us or gets referred to us, in whatever capacity we can help. Mm-hmm. And we're on the website, you know, Network for Good, and you know a few of those others. And then you know we got very fortunate, and uh, another veteran started an organization, Freedom Motor Club, and they did a, a fundraiser for us and raised thirty five thousand dollars in a single excellent. day. that's and, excellent. Yeah, and. You know, so just a lot of that, just local networking and just word of mouth, yeah. because we don't want to spend a bunch of money on marketing and ads right. and and everything else like that, because then you know it, it takes away from the ultimate purpose, right. is, exactly, in our opinion. Right.
1: And we will make sure that in our episode notes on the podcast applications, as well as on our website, we will include the website for Combat Wounded of Texas. Thank you. In I case somebody that. would like to check it out. Thank you so much. You. Oh no, thank you for this today. We appreciate it, and we know with Memorial Day coming up yes. that many uh, brothers and sisters who never were able to come home are going to be on the minds of our veterans, and our hearts, thoughts, and prayers are with those veterans and the families of those who never came home.
3: Absolutely. So,
1: thank you again. And before I get choked up, <laughs> I will say we'll go ahead and sign off for today.
3: Thank you. Thank you for Thanks. your time and everything y'all do.
0: Thank you so much for listening with us today. Do you have a topic that you'd like us to cover or do you have a question from one of our episodes? Please email us at info at com and let us know. We hope you will find a moment to leave a review, send an email, and share with others. Join us next time as we continue to live and grieve together.